Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4, Podcast 107, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner. It is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Canto 3, Episode 7. Podcast 107 is entitled, The Adventures of Una, Part 1. In the previous podcast, number 104... The Red Cross Knight listens to the tale of the weeping tree. It is a warning to the Red Cross Knight to flee from Duessa. However, the knight does not heed the warning because Duessa presented herself as Fidesa, the daughter of an emperor who had been kidnapped by Sans Foy, who in fact was her lover. Having lost Sans Foy, Duessa seeks to destroy the Red Cross Knight by causing him to lose his virtue, the source of his strength. In Canto 3, Una sets out on a journey to find the Red Cross Knight who has abandoned her because of the false dream caused by the magician Archimago. Forsaken Truth long seeks her love and makes the lion mild. Mars' blind devotions mart and falls in hand of lecher vile. Canto 3 is the story of the adventures of Una as she seeks the Red Cross Knight. As mentioned, the Red Cross Knight represents holiness. Achieving holiness, however, is a very rocky road, as will be illustrated by his further adventures. Una, on the other hand, represents truth. Una does not suffer the same temptations as her champion. However, her own journey is fraught with dangers. For example, in Canto 3, she is met by a lion, by a robber rapist, by the wicked magician Archimago, who is disguised as the Red Cross Knight, and by Sans Loy, whose name means without law. All seek Una's destruction, and she has no champion. If they can destroy Una, who symbolizes truth, then it will follow that they can destroy the Red Cross Knight, who symbolizes holiness. To appreciate the journeys of Una and the Red Cross Knight, we must examine how they overcome the obstacles in their path, one in seeking truth and the other in seeking holiness. In that sense, it becomes a cautionary tale, for Spencer is assuming that we are also on the path of truth and holiness and will be confronted by strong opposition. Remember that Una is on a mission to find the Red Cross Knight so that he can deliver her royal parents who were held captive by a powerful dragon. Una is true, but she is inexperienced to the subtlety of Satan and the evils of the world. The first obstacle that Una meets is a fierce lion. One day, nigh weary of the irksome way from her unhasty beast, she did alight, and on the grass her dainty limbs did lay in secret shadow, far from all men's sight. From her fairy head, her fillet she undid, and laid her stole aside, her angel face as the great eye of heaven shined bright, and made a sunshine in the shady place. Did never mortal eyes behold such heavenly grace. It fortuned out of the thickest wood a ramping lion rushed suddenly, hunting full greedy after savage blood. A strange thing happens. The beast is so taken by Una that he forgot his ravaged hunger. 
Soon as the royal virgin he did spy with gaping mouth, at her ran greedily to have at once devour her tender course. But to the prey, when he drew more nigh, his bloody rage assuaged with remorse, and with the sight amazed, forgat his furious force. Instead of seeking blood, he becomes as tame as a kitten. Of course, it perpetuates the idea that beauty can tame the most savage beast. But the lion senses more in Una than mere physical beauty. He is responding to the purity of her soul and the simplicity of truth. Instead thereof, he kissed her weary feet and licked her lily hands with fawning tongue. And he, her wronged innocent, did weet. Oh, how can beauty master the most strong and simple truth subdue avenging wrong? Whose yielded pride and proud submission, still dreading death, when she had marked long, her heart gan melt in compassion, and drizzling tears did shed for pure affection. Una is astonished at the beast's change of heart, and ponders why he puts aside his princely power and forgets his rage. Then she ponders another question. She compares the lion to the Red Cross Knight. If the lion can be tamed by her beauty and truth, how is it that she has been treated so beastly by the Red Cross Knight, who abandoned her, and to whom she has been so true? The lion lord of every beast in field, quoth she, his princely puessence doth abate, and mighty proud to humble weak does yield. Forgetful of the hungry rage which late him pricked, in pity of my sad estate, but he, my lion, and my noble lord, how does he find in cruel heart to hate? Her that him loved and evermore adored, as the god of my life, why hath he me abhorred? Una's tears further affected the lion. He was filled with pity and lost all his anger. Redounding tears did choke the end of her plate, which softly echoed from the neighbor wood. And sad to see her sorrowful constraint, the kingly beast upon her gazing stood. With pithy calm down fell his angry mood, at last in close heart shutting up her pain. Una continues her journey to find the Red Cross Knight, and the lion, once her enemy who wanted to devour her, now follows her as her champion and wants to protect her. Arose the virgin-born of heavenly brood, and to her snowy palfrey got again, to seek her straight champion, if she might attain. The lion would not leave her desolate, but with her went along, as a guard of her chaste person, and a faithful mate of her sad troubles and misfortunes hard. Still when she slept, he kept both watch and ward, and when she waked, he waited diligent with humble service to her will prepared. From her fairy eyes he took commandment, and ever by her looks conceived her intent. Una continues her long journey with the lion by her side. Still trusting and innocent, however, Una does not recognize evil when she happens upon it, for it is disguised in poverty and physical imperfections which demand pity. Long she thus traveled through deserts wide, by which she thought her wandering night should pass. 
yet never shoe of living white espied, till that at length she found the trodden grass in which the tract of people's footing was under the steep foot of a mountain whore. The same she follows, till at last she has a damsel spied slow-footing her before, that on her shoulders sad a pot of water bore. To whom approaching she to her gan call to wheat, if dwelling-place were nigh at hand, but the rude wench, her answer not at all, she could not hear, nor speak, nor understand. Una sees a pitiful young woman who is deaf, mute, and simple-minded. Spencer, however, is using the young lady to represent those who are spiritually deaf, who never speak of anything good, and who cannot comprehend spiritual things. Till seen by her side the lion stand, with sudden fear her pitcher down she threw and fled away. For never in that land face of fair lady she before did view, and that dread lion's look her cast in deadly hue. The frightened damsel runs home to her blind mother. As the young girl is deaf, mute, and ignorant of spiritual things, her mother, a religious fanatic, is blind to the truth. In appearance and outward ordinances, she is devout and showy, but inwardly she is evil, for she prostitutes her daughter to a thief to support herself. The daughter, immune to spiritual things, flees truth to her blind mother. Full fast she fled, knee never looked behind, as if her life upon the wager lay, and home she came, whereas her mother blind sat in eternal night. Not could she say, but sudden catching hold did her dismay, with quaking hands and other signs of fear. The mother, though outwardly religious, is eternally blind to truth. Who, full of ghastly fright and cold affray, gan shut the door. By this arrived there Dame Una, wearied dame, an entrance did require. Which, when none yielded, her unruly page with his rude claws and wicked open rent, and let her in where of his cruel rage nigh dead with fear and faint astonishment she found them both in darksome corner pent, where that old woman day and night did pray upon her beats devoutly penitent, nine hundred paternosters every day, and thrice nine hundred ave she was wont to say, and to augment her painful penance more, thrice every week in ashes she did sit, and next her wrinkled skin, rough sackcloth wore, and thrice three times did fast from any bit. But now for fear her beat she did forget, whose needless dread for to remove away. Fair Una framed words and countenance fit, which hardly done, at length she gan them pray, that in their cottage small that night she rest her may. Unaware of the awful danger she is in, Una takes up lodging with the old woman. The lion lies at Una's feet, however, so no one dares to come near her. The day is spent and cometh drowsy night when every creature shrouded in his sleep. Sad Una down her lays in weary plight, and at her feet the lion watch doth keep. Instead of rest, she does lament and weep for the late loss of her dear loved knight, and sighs and groans, 
and evermore does steep her tender breast in bitter tears all night. All night she thinks too long and often looks for light. After the sun goes down, a knock is heard at the door. The old woman and the daughter, however, are afraid to even move and will not go to the door. However, in comes the robber with his stolen bounty. Now when Aldebaran was mounted high above the shiny Cassiopeia's chair, and all in deadly sleep did drowned lie, one knocked at the door, and in would fare. He knocked fast and often cursed and swear that ready entrance was not at his call, for on his back a heavy load he bare of nightly stealth and pillage several which he had got abroad by purchase criminal. He was to wheat a stout and sturdy thief, wont to rob churches of their ornaments, and poor men's boxes of their due relief, which given was to them for good intents. The holy saints of their rich vestments he did disrobe, when all men careless slept, and spoiled the priests of their habiliments, whilst none the holy things in safety kept. Then he, by cunning slights, in at the window crept. The thief lodged himself with the blind woman and her faithless daughter. In return for sexual pleasures, he gave them part of his stolen treasures. And all that he by right or wrong could find unto this house he brought, and did bestow upon the daughter of this woman blind. Abessa, daughter of Corsica Slow, with whom he whoredom used, that few did know, and fed her fat with feast of offerings and plenty, which in all the land did grow. Ne spared he to give her golden rings, and now he to her brought part of his stolen things. Afraid of the lion, the old blind woman and her daughter didn't dare open the door. So the robber savagely breaks down the door and enters. He would have sated his lust on Una. But the lion, sensing the danger, unknown to Una, tears the robber to pieces. Thus long the door with rage and threats to beat, yet of those fearful women none durst rise. The lion freed them, him in to let. He would no longer stay him to advise, but open breaks the door in furious wise, and entering is. When that disdainful beast, encountering fierce, him sudden death surprise, and seizing cruel claws on trembling breast, under his lordly foot him proudly hath suppressed. Him booteth not resist, nor succor call, his bleeding heart is in the venger's hand, who straight him rent, in thousand pieces small, and quite dismembered hath. The thirsty land drank up his life, his course left on the strand. His fearful friends wear out the woeful night, need dare to weep, nor seem to understand the heavy hap which on them is a light. Afraid, lest to themselves the like mishappen might. Unknowingly, Una is saved from being raped by the robber. She conquers the savage lion because of her beauty her purity, and her truth. However, she would have been no match for the lecturer's thief. In turn, the lion becomes her champion and tears apart the robber rapist. In the morning, Una and the lion leave. Una, unaware of the gross danger she had escaped, 
Join us next week to learn of the fate of the lion and how Una, once again, must alone contend with evil, this time in the form of Archimago, the evil magician, and the lawless knight Sans Loy, who is brother to the slain Sans Foy. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.